everyone. Welcome to the Latin Excellence Podcast. I'm Gabby. And this is Carlos. And we are Los Los Riveras. Riveras. Our show features stories of top performers in the Latinx community and helps you discover practical insights that you can apply to your own personal journey. In this episode, Carlos and I connect with the legendary Betty Porto, one of the owners of what Ira LA has dubbed the most popular Cuban bakery on the West Coast. Porto's Bakery and Cafe, of course. Betty discusses her family's humble beginnings and how her mother went from selling cakes under an oppressive regime in Cuba to running a multi-million dollar enterprise in the United States. That's right, multi-million dollar enterprise. Talk about the American dream. She also talks about the importance of education, community, and how leaving a legacy keeps the Portos brand alive. Enjoy this episode with Betty Porto. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining. We're so lucky today to have Betty Porto on the show with us. She is one of the iconic owners of Porto's Bakery in Southern California. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. So, Betty, so for those of us who may be new or are not familiar with your company, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do and, and the story behind Porto's? Well, we're a family-owned and operated business. We were started by my mother and my dad, two immigrants coming from Cuba trying to find, to give us political and religion freedom, trying to escape from communism. Both my parents lost their job. Um, My dad was taken away from the home to a labor camp away from us. And my mother was left behind unemployed with um, three kids. She started making cakes out of the house because her neighbors started saying, well, you need to survive somehow and you like to make cakes. And she started making cakes out of the house for friends and family. Mind you, the ingredients were not available. You couldn't go to the market and buy them. So people with um, families would gather eggs, flour, because everything was rationed. And then they would bring it to her and she would make it a cake and charge you. And then they would pay her. Whatever they could, it was a bartering system, so money wasn't worth anything. So she did that for eight years. That's how long it took us to get out, and it was like I said, it was scary. I mean, I would imagine that during that time, it's so scary. There's a there's a big fear that you must have that you know something's going to happen, something bad. Oh, yeah, because if you if you would have been caught, you would have been in jail for twenty years because private enterprise was illegal. But we have wonderful neighbors and. Whenever we know that the secret police would be coming, they would find out and tell us, and we would put whatever little equipment she had through the backyard. How did your family end up settling in Los Angeles? The old us come to California, the land of the milk and honey, plenty of jobs, which is true. Jobs were available. People would get a residency in no time at all. Everybody had, would have legal papers to stay because there was such a need for labor that, you know, supply and demand. So, so now that a lot of people know what Portos is, and you started, I remember when I would, used to go there with my grandpa as a kid, there was that one little bakery shop in, in Glendale, and then it expanded into the next door location, and now you have multiple locations. So how did you go from just that one into multiple locations? Like- well, you know, we were in Glendale forever, and I told my brother and I, 
and my sister had the longest learning curve in the world because we were learning directly from my parents, even though we all went to school and had degrees. I have a master's. My brother and sister also have degrees in business. Mine was political science. I was going to go to law school. I was going to go to law school. But then we kind of, the three of us kind of fell in love with the business. We were learning the business all this time. And we said, okay, you know what? This, we have a gold mine, and why don't we, why are we looking for jobs when we have it right here? So right. we decide to stay there. We decide to stay. We don't, we don't go pursue our careers. We decide to stay. And when that happens is when we decide, you know what? The Glendale store is overwhelmed with customers. We already extended it. We added a cafe. Within two years, the cafe was packed. And the biggest complaint we got was waiting, the wait line. The amount of people that wanted to go in and how long it took us, the lack of parking. So then we realized that we had to open another location. And we figured that Burbank was a baby step. Because, uh, I mean, being able, uh, having to delegate and give power to somebody else, that was the hardest thing we ever did. So that was the hardest thing we ever did, opening Burbank, learning how to delegate. We had to divide the bakery into areas, you know, front of the house, back of the house. Front of the house is the people that are selling to you. Back of the house are like the ovens, the cake decorating department, the pastry chefs. We divided all that and we started putting uh, people in key positions there. Yeah, how do you do that as as a family? Like you saw your parents build this business. Right. You see them, you, you share it with your brothers and sisters. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But how that as you're letting people, you know, people whom you may not even know, into your business, how do right, you right. So that, yeah. doing that? Well, you educate yourself. You you know you 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 read, you look up things, uh, um, you speak to, you get yourself mentors in the industry uh, that were teaching and doing this for other businesses that were, you know, like Tony Romans, remember that were going all over the place. Right. So we need people that were doing that, teachers that were helping so we got ourselves educated mm -hmm. and again in order to conquer we had to divide the bakery and assign people that would then answer to supervisors to manage then to us so remember we were 10 minutes away from each other so you know we felt like we could be there and we were there every day it was easy we were super close it was a baby step and we wanted to make sure it would work now once you do something like that and, and now and then you realize it works then you have yourself a model, and the rest of the bakeries have been just duplications of what we did in Burbank. You know, every time we opened a new one, we knew had a better build and really what we needed because now we could build them from the ground up instead of having to vacate a, a bakery like Burbank was, and that's why they had the parking is limited. It was an existing building. Now Downey is its own. We built it from the ground up and bought a parking and West Covina, so we got to have more of a say-so on how the bakery was designed to be, be to be more efficient. So every time you open a new bakery, you learn, and you become more efficient about the way you design it, smoother and faster. So, you know, all those things you learn, every time you open a new one, you say, oh my God, the next one, we should have done this. So there's always uh, learning. I will say the West Covina location is awesome. I am from that area. My parents love it so much. It's so easy and it seems fast. 
every single time. So I think the layout, the logistics, everything works out really well. Like I said, you learn every time you you do that, you learn how to make it better. I mean, and, and you know, again, the moment you stop learning, then you shouldn't be in business anymore, you know? The, you know, you talked about education, how you need to continue to educate. And there's sometimes, you right. know, many of us that are entrepreneurs, but we say, hey, you know what, we can just sell food or we can just sew and we can sell our clothes. But why is it important to take it a step further and say, hey, you know what, we need an education because there's so many, uh, unfortunately, it's sad. I think the last, in 2013, there was about um, 4% of Latinas had completed a master's degree. So why is it important that just because, yes, you're good at whatever it might be, why is it important that you still need an education? The reason my mom was so successful against other women that were immigrants in the 1970s is the fact that she did have an education. And she needed, you know, she knew that in order to open a bakery, you need to hire an architect to design your bakery. You need engineers. You needed to go to a bank. You need to sign a loan. All those things that you think are sound easy to you, Without an education in the food business, people sometimes don't, you know, can't even write or read. So it becomes a lot harder for them um, to go to grow up from a mom and pop to the next level. You know, it's uh, I didn't study marketing. I went to become a, I was going to be a lawyer, but I learned as I went how important getting out there and getting to know your community and 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 connecting to the people in your town, in your city, in the government. So you could be on top of everything that, that was coming your way, that was, that was available for you as a business, any type of help. A lot of people don't even know all the stuff that the government has uh, uh, that are meant to help you. Betty, that's a really good point. So for those that don't know, what are some of those go-to resources that you use or you think other people should definitely know about? Well, you know, there's all kinds of um, classes if you go online. There's business classes for everything. There's um, organizations. There's the Small Business Administration. When we did it, we didn't even know that that existed. You know, because we were recently around immigrants, but now they even have, those organizations have uh, group projects where they teach people. And I have people that come to the bakery because they're part of the project. They're in a, in a project where they've been taught step-by-step step how to open a business. These people get to listen to mentors and then because they know that there's people in the industry and they've been told to go ahead and reach out, they go on and reach out the business of bakery. We do tours uh, for people in the industry. So there's a lot of help that, you know, is at your fingertips. But if you don't have an education, you'll stay a mom and pop, you know, but you're not going to be able to to grow and you know my brother is one of those people that never settles so you know everything that that you know people complain and stuff about the minimum going up and all this stuff he never did that he never complained what did he do he went to he set up two or three years before the minimum when they were starting to talk about it mm-hmm. he started figuring out how is Porter going to survive with the minimum yeah right. how do we go about being successful so Instead of sitting in your butt and waiting for the government to resolve your issues, which they're not going to resolve your issues, you go and you get yourself, you figure out what's everybody else doing, what are people in bakeries in Europe doing to have, how do they stay away, how do they survive with, with no labor? So many countries in Europe have no labor. 
well, they get equipment, they get machines to help them make it faster, you know, that can allow uh, you to do a regular shift of eight hours instead of, you know, having to work 15 hours. Mm -hmm. So all those things you learn because you have the necessity to survive and you find out what's out there and you try to help yourself. I don't know how many other bakers do this, but we have, you know, we have vacations, we have paid holidays, we have medical for all the employees. And we had, we were thinking about giving them medical before Obama came along. In those days, our employees were older people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are Latinos and they would say, no, I don't want it. I can just go to TJ and get it for less. So we tried to do it. We couldn't do it at the time because they didn't want to be, they didn't want to buy into the program. Yeah. They said, no, we can cross the border, it's cheaper, blah, 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 blah. So now, after all these years, then they're on board. Even the first years that we tried to get them on board, they were saying it's still cheaper for me to go to TJ than to pay a penalty. So it's all about learning and teaching your employees. We have, we have a 401k right now that mm -hmm. my brother wanted to do because we had employees that were going to be retiring. Yes. And in the old employees, right. of course, they save their money, but you know this, and the new people might not be saving any money. Yeah. So offer them a 401k. To be honest with you, Betty, too, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people don't even know the basics of just having a 401k. So to, to be able to offer that as a... Well, but we just didn't offer it. I mean, we had classes. We have people that come in to enroll and we, we made everything easy. Classes, presentations, bilingual. We brought people in to talk to them about investing their money. We did everything in our power. And still the young people, we convinced the older people because, you know, they were already thinking about, you know, what's going to happen in the future. But a lot of the young ones, they didn't want to buy into the program because they wanted to, they would say, no, if I'm going to, you know, I don't want to spend $20 on that. They just don't have they're not at the same place but mm -hmm. we did it more for the people that were adults and were ready for it and so we're very proud of that but that was my brother being the ceo thinking ahead not waiting for somebody to tell him hey you need to do that but we wanted to do it we wanted to be, become we wanted to have, uh, be able to have retention employee mm -hmm. retention instead of turnover we wanted to make sure that we kept the employees that we need that are going to be with us we want it to be a more attractive place to work. It's so good to hear that you've made an investment in your employees. So knowing you run the business with your siblings, just talk to us about the family dynamics. How does that impact the way you guys do? Well, you know, it's, um, so for us, the secret was, you know, my mom and dad run the business. My brother and my sister, I did what we were told to do. We can all develop and when to do what we like the most in the bank without really there being a plan. So my brother was an economic major. So that's all he thinks about. Mm -hmm. you know, that's his thing. You know, he loves that. I was, my sister studied accounting, but she was very creative. And she kind of took over my mother's position. And me, you know, I, I wanted always to be in front of a crowd of people. I love to talk. And so we kind of went into whatever roles we loved. So it was easy. There was no effort. We kind of just somehow naturally ended up doing whatever it is that we had a passion for. How do you how do you balance even just a family business? I can imagine like yes, you you each have your own responsibilities, but when it comes time to maybe say you wanted to introduce a new uh, food menu, or how do you guys? Well, that, that, that's sure. what happens though, you know. So I do, you know, the grassroots nonprofits and all that kind of stuff. That's my job. 
my brother's job is to run the place and to do whatever he's so we, yeah we meet with him we taste we make a decision but all that kind of stuff is coming from the people that we have now working he's he's the one that's making most of the decisions and my sister and i because we've done it like this all the time whatever he wants to do he's done right by us every decision that he's made has been a good one so we trust him 100 percent. and what so happens we when, what happens when he makes a bad decision how do you guys hold each other accountable? never made one before Okay, that's good to that's good to know. But what happens? I'm I'm curious because you know look at, look family at, business. In a matter of time, one of us is going to make a mistake. So how do you how do you just be honest with each other and say, hey, okay, if, a mistake, if he makes a mistake, we owe it to him because it's very easy to criticize. But if he's been making all the decisions for the past twenty something years, they've been all good. He's allowed to make a mistake. We're not gonna we're not gonna shoot his head off because he's gonna be the first one to say he made a mistake. And how can you? Blame somebody who's working six days a week, twelve hours a day, fifteen hours a day, to to come out with the best decisions. Again, we're like a unit. My brother and my sister, I think the same, mm-hmm. and we support each other, and we're able to make quick decisions because we are guided by the trust that we have in him and the trust that we had in my father before. So you know, when you work together as a family, you gotta trust, and there has to be somebody who's doing those type of decisions. And you have to be okay with that. And you're going to have to be happy making your decisions. And he has to be okay with that. And we all know after all these years what we're good at. And so it's, you know, it works for us. Now, you know, if you have one person that's good at numbers and, and economics and all that, and he's better than you are at it, and you benefit from his growth and his leadership, if you don't follow, you're a fool. Betty, how would you describe your own leadership style? I'm a people person, so I always bring people along. I, uh, you know, there's not a day that goes by if I don't go to the bakery. I, I always engage every one of the employees about how their family, what they're doing, how, how is it coming. Uh, I always, you know, when we get together, I try to explain when we're doing something, uh, an idea that we're doing, I try to get feedback. Since I do all the nonprofits, I'm always talking to them because employees feel really good when a company um, has uh, an agenda uh, and helping other communities. They feel good about being part of this. So they're on board of whatever that I'm doing, whatever organization we're helping, they're on board. If I need volunteers to do that we're feeding, we're doing an event, they all want to participate. Or if I'm doing a run for like arthritis, we did a run for arthritis. We had a team, people from all the bakeries. They're all happy about it. So we keep them informed about whatever we're doing because they love it. Everybody loves to work in a company that gives back to the community. Right? Yeah. We work work with children's hospitals. How many people in the the bakery have kids that have gone to children's hospitals? You know, they get to pack all the stuff and get it all ready to be picked up every night at the end of the day by the homeless shelter that we work with the Los Angeles Union Mission. We've been working with them for 10 years. So. We feel like around 24,000 people a week wow. in that nonprofit. And now they pick up an uh, organization and they give it to Meals on Wheels and different organizations in the city. So every bakery is uh, tied to a nonprofit uh, that is helping, you know, helping somebody out. So the employees feel good about that. You feel good about it because my mother would say, 
you always have to, you never deny somebody a plate of food. You know, food is to be fair and to be, to be given to people. So, you know, that was always our philosophy. You share food with the people that don't, that don't have it. And when we came here from Cuba, we had so many friends and family that took care of us. So, you know, it's our duty to now do the same. So that's how I get my, my employees involved in what I do. You know, they get to participate. Yeah. They get to see. You know, they get to, if, we get, if we're giving an award, we take, you know, and it has to do with that. We bring the people that were helping us uh, achieve, you know, whatever we did with this organization. So yeah. good people on board. They love it. They, you know, like I said, they all feel good about working for a company that gives to the community because everybody has a child that's been sick. Everybody knows how hard this, you know, this situation with the homeless is. They're all aware, so they're all on board on it, you know. Yeah. It sounds like you're a true servant leader. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and Betty, Betty, the one thing that I noticed was that you love just working with people, talking with people. And I think that's a big part of the, the Porto's brand, just making sure that you're authentic. You know, every single time that I walk in there, I feel like I'm at home. I feel like I'm in my house. The staff yeah. is so friendly. So how do you, how do you make sure yeah. that you do that brand? And that's something that happens naturally. Because that's the way we feel. We always say our bakers are an extension of our family. I mean, how can you not be engaged with your customers when you have people that come with a picture and they say, you know, you made my mother's wedding cake and now I'm here because I want you to make my wedding cake. We're about family. We're about tradition. We're about making memories. And you notice that in the big companies, right? Like Disney, their 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 ideal is they want to share experiences. They want to sh make you feel good when you watch a movie. With Nike, you have right. you want to win. And now with Portos, I see that the brand is more about you want to create memories through with your food, right? It's wonderful. Yes, I mean think about it. Food is food is love. There's never prejudice when it comes to food. Right? People are prejudiced, but they eat whatever food they put in front of them, whether it's Mexican food, Chinese food, you name it. People are not prejudiced when it comes to food. If you eat something that tastes good and it makes you feel good, you're going to love that food. And yeah. that's something that I get all the time. When I have kids, I never had a potato ball. They come to the bakery from every nationality and background. Many of them tell me that the potato ball makes them feel like somebody, like something that grandmother used to make. So yeah. there's a, there's a, taste profile that they can taste the love that my mother put into her recipe. How do you carry that responsibility? Because, you know, there's so many Latinos, not just Cubanos, but there's Puerto Ricanos, Mexicanos, people from Guatemala, Nicaragua. They're all following the Portos and they all feel that, that same. Do you feel the sense of responsibility? Yeah, man. I feel responsible for all my nonprofit and for the image that the bakery has and to be always in the positive light. My brother feels responsible for being a successful businessman because at the end of the day right now you have 2,500 people that you're that you're responsible for and you know we're talking about before the pandemic I mean he, that was his responsibility being profitable enough he has to make sure we are profitable enough to be able to raise people's salaries mine is community outreach uh, talking to people mentoring people uh, going to high schools and lecturing at a class at USC that I've been doing, a business, family business class. So what legacy do you want to leave? You know, my mom just passed away in December. As long as the baker's open and the, and the grandchildren are still carrying her legacy, 
she's still alive in every in every one of those bakeries. This is so my legacy would be for our kids, seven of them, at some point to all join in, work together, carry the legacy with the same love that we did, with the same respect for clients, same respect for community, and doing this being close knit family and being good people at the end of the day. Leaving a family, it doesn't matter how much money you make. Mm-hmm. Without family, you have nothing. And how do you teach you that to your kids now? How are you teaching it to, to teach them what you're Well, I mean, they, they saw it in the grandparents' house. Remember, they were raised by my grandmother and my dad. They listened to her, you know, day in and day out. And also they can see as they were growing up how hard my sister and my brother were working. They were aware that so many times they, they couldn't go to a baseball game or something that they were doing. It's because at the beginning, we didn't have enough employees and we had to work really hard and long hours. So they saw what we did. And right now, you know, they're all not involved in the bakery, but I can tell you that they're all hard workers. Yes, they're very lucky to have you. Congratulations on all your success. We want to know what's next. What's next for Portos? Well, you know, Baker Home is fairly new. I mean, like two years old. And we're hoping that that would allow us uh, you know, the opportunity to reach every home. We have now delivered to every state in the United States of America. Wow. Two years later, except, you know, Hawaii and Alaska, they're too expensive for the, you know, the delivery. But, you know, with that in mind, that means Porter can become major one without really having to open a mega monster bakery, which, you know, those are not easy to find. But meanwhile, again, Bake at Home is something that we're really pushing, especially Yes. Bake at home is something that is saving a lot of a lot of our, you know, employees' jobs. Yeah, it's good that you had it already made, so that way you can now just get yeah. it right. But do you do you think we'll ever see a Portos in New York, Florida? It would be a lot. It it would be a lot easier to stay together as a, as a family, and not have to be by yourself all over the place. You have to be careful how far you stretch your arms. Thank you so much for what you all are doing and keep up the great work. We'd love to ask you just quick, fast four questions, kind of fun, just get to know you a little bit more. So first one, what is, who is one person that you're currently admire or that you're following? Uh, I always say the same thing as my mother. Awesome. What book are you currently reading? Uh, Isabel Allende. I read oh, a book yeah. by her that was really cool, Sayama. My my mi país inventado, mm. and it was really cool because I was it was about the immigrant spirit, how you don't fit in America but you don't fit in your country. Next question: What's your favorite Spanish quote? How my mother would always say, "Donde comen tres comen cuatro." And then one one last question: What would you want your younger self to know? <laughs> I would I would I would want her to know that. That if you work hard and and you have a passion in life, if you work hard, you have a passion in life, and you bring people along, nice things will happen to you. Awesome. That is really good advice, and we will take it. Thank you so much, Betty. We appreciate your time today. We're going to make sure our listeners, although I don't know there are many that don't know about Portos, but we'll make sure they have your website and that they know about your new uh, Bake at Home. I think that's awesome, and everyone should try it. So we appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, make sure to subscribe to our channel and leave us a review. 
You can also follow us on Instagram at Latin Excellence Podcast. Thanks again for listening. And hey, if you know someone we should be highlighting, feel free to drop us a note or a comment and let us know how we can share their story. 